This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader the station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. <laughs> Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. just a moment, Edward Arnold will step into his role as Mr. President. But right now, I'd like to ask you how many of our country's past presidents you can identify. For example, do you know how many presidents have held office? Are you familiar with the major events that took place during the terms of James Monroe or Theodore Roosevelt? Well, each week, Mr. President brings to life tense and gripping moments in the life of one of our former chief executives, moments that most history books do not record. And you, as the listener, enjoy the thrill of trying to identify the president each week. Mr. President gives you the opportunity to test your knowledge of the men who have lived in the White House. At the close of the program, the name of the president about whom this episode is based will be announced. But first, try to guess who he is as his dramatic story is being told. Now, in just a moment, Edward Arnold. Edward Arnold, as it is Sunday in the old mansion, after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer, and down the long hall to the president's study. Hello. Sit down, won't you? You know, once a group of people have made up their minds not to believe you, nothing you ever do or say will change their minds. As a matter of fact, the more you try to depend uh, on your position, the more they doubt your reasons for it. They'll even go so far as to attribute wholly different reasons for your position. And some of them not good at all. Well, that happened to a president once, when he made a decision which determined the entire fate of his administration. Later on, of course, I'll tell you who that president was. But meanwhile, you may be able to guess. just been elected president after a hotly contested campaign. My immediate problem was the appointment of a strong cabinet. My political advisor, Edward Wire, was here discussing the matter with me. 
you realize, Mr. President, that nobody is happier than I am about your victory. Well, thank you, Ed, and thanks for helping to make it possible. But we must face the fact that the contest was not only close, it was, well... You mean fierce, Ed? Yes, I guess you'd call it that, sir. After all, if there weren't a little competition, it wouldn't feel like an election, would it? No, I suppose not. But once the election's over, people, even politicians, go back to being nice to one another again. Why, do you know, Ed... Senator Gibson not only sh- took this defeat uh, gracefully, he almost shook my hand off at the inaugural reception. Yes, but don't be deceived by a few social amenities, sir. There's still a lot of ruffled political feelings around. That is why the question of your cabinet is so important. Are you suggesting that I pass out appointments to those with the ruffled feelings? Oh, nothing quite so obvious, sir. But you will agree that you can consolidate all sections of the party by a representative cabinet. I do indeed. And truthfully, sir, the key to the whole problem is your choice for Secretary of State. Well, uh, frankly, Ed, I, I don't think I have much choice. Do you have any suggestions? Well, what about Richard Rash? Oh, he's a good man. I've picked him out for the Secretary of the Treasury. After all, he's a wizard at finance, and I believe we ought to use his talents in the right place. Yes, I I guess you're right, sir. Uh, What about Southard? Well, he did all right as Secretary of the Navy for my predecessor. I think we ought to keep him there. Yes. uh, How do you feel about Barber? So what are you trying to do, break up the rest of my cabinet? I had him picked for the Secretary of War. You know as well as I do, he would be unhappy anyplace else. Any more on your list? I, I think you'd better start on yours, sir. Well, I've thought of practically everybody, but I know of only one man whom I can appoint. And who is that? Tom Carter. Carter? But, Mr. President, you've never liked Carter. He doesn't like me much, either. But there are times when you must sacrifice personal feeling for other considerations. Oh, but no other consideration can be worth dividing our forces, sir. Oh, I beg of you, don't appoint Tom Carter. Yes, Miss Sarum. Vice President Shelby has requested the privilege of speaking with you, sir. No. I take it it's a direct quotation, isn't it, Miss Sarum? <laughs> Approximately, <laughs> Miss Sarum, you've got to help me. Help you, sir? How? Yes, I have a vice. Oh. And unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to enjoy it as much as I should. Then why don't you give it up, sir? I can't. Oh, there must be some way. There's none, Miss Sarum, none whatever. I'm sorry, sir. Miss Sarah, I shudder every time I think I have to spend the next four years with Richard Shelby, vice president. Oh, that kind of vice. <laughs> hmm. I don't think I'll be able to help you much then. Um, shall I show him in, sir? Yes, I'd better start trying to find a way to make friends with him as soon as possible. Oh, just a moment, sir. Thank you. Mr. Shelby, will you come in, please? Thank you very much. Mr. President. Mr. Vice President. I debated, sir, whether or not I should allow you another day or two to become accommodated to your exalted position. But I felt that the urgency of the matter demanded immediate attention. What is the matter, Mr. Shelby? Mr. President, the success of your administration will depend largely upon the choice of cabinet members. Thank you, Mr. Shelby, for relieving me of the entire responsibility of my office so quickly. Uh, I beg your pardon. Oh, nothing, nothing at all. I agree with you. Uh, Well, then, to that purpose, I have drawn up a list of acceptable nominees. Oh, I admire you for your alacrity and deep concern, sir. Thank you, sir. Perhaps I had better just leave this list with you. You can study it at your convenience. However, 
I do want to urge you most seriously to consider my candidate for the Secretary of State. Oh, yes? Mr. Poinsett. Point? Oh, yes, yes. He's a very able man. But I don't think he's had the experience with foreign nations that this job requires. Then, too, I'm not sure his personality would fit. However, I have someone in mind for that post myself. And I'd like your opinion of him. What do you think of Tom Carter? Carter? Impossible. Hmm? Mr. President, there's only one man qualified for that position. Mr. Poinsett. He will ensure the success of this administration. Yes, yes. Well, well thank you very, very much, Mr. Shaw. I shall give your recommendations the most careful consideration. it failed to be vice president. Did you intend that remark to be frivolous, Senator Gibson? Of course not. I was just thinking how we'd get along if I had been elected. That would not change our relationship in the slightest, Senator. As you know, I place policy above personality. Oh, I know you do. I know you do. You're a fine man, Mr. Shelby. Tell me, how are you and the president getting on? Surprisingly well. I've already presented him with my proposals for the cabinet. Oh, have you? And he accepted them? Well, uh, he has taken them under serious consideration. I think he looks upon several of them with high favor. I assume you recommended Poinsett for the State Department. Naturally. But he mentioned something about Thomas Carter. Carter? No, no, he wouldn't dare. Naturally, I oppose the suggestion vehemently. Shelby, as you know, I clash with the president on a number of issues, but I have nothing but the highest respect for his integrity. I can't say the same for Carter. One thing I cannot understand, Senator. Why did Carter throw his support to the president at the last moment of the election? He never liked the president. I know that, but he likes me even less. Now, under the circumstances that the president should have the effrontery to appoint Carter, then it's plain that he would do so for only one reason. And that is? A corrupt political bargain. Why such a long face this morning, Ed? Mr. President, I hate to say this, but as your political advisor, I must. When we discussed the appointment of the Secretary of State, you mentioned the name of Thomas Carter. Yes, I did. As you will remember, I made strong objections. Well, I remember that, too. Uh, Did you mention this idea of yours to anyone else, sir? Now, let me see. Yes, to the Vice President. Well, that explains it, sir. Mr. President, the word has gotten around that you're planning to nominate Carter, and it's had the effect I feared. Violent reaction from every quarter. Do you know what the people are saying? When people disagree with you, Ed, they'll say anything to make their point. Well, they're saying that you made a secret bargain with Carter. Go on. His support for you in the election if you'd give him the State Department. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for telling me how people feel about it. That's part of my job, isn't it, sir? Well, uh, good day, Mr. President. Good day, Ed. Good day, Miss Sarah. Goodbye, Mr. Wire. Miss Sarah. Yes, sir. Will you come in, please? Yes, Mr. President. Sit down, Miss Sarah. Oh, thank you, sir. Did you want me to take notes? No, no. I just want to think out loud. Oh. You know, there always has to be a first time, doesn't there? Well, this is the first time I'm president, and I have to make my first decision. And, Miss Sarah, I have a feeling that everything that's going to come afterwards depends upon that decision. Don't you? You haven't told me what your decision is yet, sir. Hmm? Oh, that's right. That's right. I haven't. I have to appoint a Secretary of State. There are some good men I could choose, but, Miss Sarah, I have to consider all the reasons and the consequences. I don't understand, sir. 
Well, if it wasn't for Tom Carter, I wouldn't be president. He thinks he deserves the post, and I happen to agree with him. But nobody else seems to agree with me. Uh, well, Miss Sarah, there's only one thing I can do, and that is to have a showdown with Carter. Yes, and thank you for coming, Mr. Carter. It gives me an opportunity to wish you good luck, sir. Thank you. Mr. Carter, in the past we have differed on many issues, and I think perhaps I've been somewhat harsh in expressing that difference. However, I believe that in affairs of state it is sometimes better to be candid than just to be polite. It is often possible to be both, sir. Yes, yes, I suppose it is. But uh, when it isn't, I prefer to be frank. I have found that out. Well, then, I'll be frank again. I am fully in accord with your ideas and our foreign relations. Then I trust you will incorporate them in your administration's foreign policy? That will be within the jurisdiction of my Secretary of State. And the Secretary of State will be the key position in this administration. Fully as important as my own. That is assuming that the Secretary of State will have a free hand? Carter, I'm going to nominate you for that post. No, what's the matter? You've always wanted the post. Are you afraid that I won't uh, give you a free hand? Thank you very much for the honor, but I'm, uh, I'm afraid, Mr. President, I will have to take the matter under consideration. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. You know, many people like to thumb through the pages of history and read about outstanding deeds of bravery, perseverance, and valor. Take Lieutenant Daniel Longstreet of the Marine Corps, for instance. He personally led an assault on Natchez, Mississippi in 1778 with a force half the size of the defending British troops. Through his efforts, some 40 Marines who were being held prisoner were released. Then, loading a captured British ship with supplies from the enemy's stores, Longstreet and his Marines started up the river to join George Rogers Clark in his march on Vincennes. They did get to Clark, and with him marched into what is now Indiana and Ohio. They helped make history, and the Marines still do. That's part of the proud heritage which over the years has made the Marines outstanding. So men, if it's tradition and a career you want, join the U.S. Marine Corps. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Perhaps you've already guessed who the president was in this story, but don't forget the choice of cabinet members has often been a subject of controversy, and the success or failure of an administration often depended upon a president's decision. Later, later on, of course, I'll tell you which president this was. My suggestion that Tom Carter be made the Secretary of State met with violent opposition, but despite that, I had to offer him the post. I had reasons to believe that he wanted the job, but much to my surprise, he hesitated. And I couldn't understand why. But you expected the president to make such a proposal, didn't you, Tom? Yes, I did, Frank. Frank. And you wanted to be secretary of state more, more than in anything else, except to be president yourself. I cannot deny that. Well, what's that's holding back? back? Frank Blair, you've been my closest friend for years. You know as well as anyone that I'm an ambitious man. For eight years, I've wanted to be secretary of state because I was sure that it would be a stepping stone to the presidency. Well, now that the door has been opened for me, I'm, uh, I'm not so sure. You mean you don't think you can get along with the president? Well, I don't know. We haven't got along very well in the past. 
I'm not sure I could play second fiddle to him or any man. Hmm. Knowing you as well as I do, Tom, I don't think there's any danger of your playing second fiddle if you become Secretary of State. There's a much greater danger, Frank, a danger that will split our party wide open. You've heard what they're saying, haven't you? That kind of talk can't hurt you, Tom. If it hurts the party, it hurts me. You see, everybody knows that I've never been friendly with the president. They also know that I unexpectedly gave him my support in the election. And now, now if I accept his appointment, well, they're, they're already saying the president and I have made a bargain. I've never known you to be so sensitive to political abuse before, Tom. I'm not being sensitive, but I've got to be sensible. What if I accept this nomination? And what if the Senate aroused by the opposition should turn me down? Uh, Frank, every single move I've ever made has been pointed in one direction. Now if I make the wrong decision, I'll have to throw away everything. My career, my dreams, my hopes. Well, if that's the way you feel, Tom, you shouldn't take the job. Yes, Miss Sarah. Mr. Thomas Carter is waiting to see you, sir. Oh, thank you. Uh, come in, Mr. Carter. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning, sir. Well, have you arrived at a decision? Yes, I have, Mr. President. No? Mr. President, you must be aware of the vigorous and I might even say dangerous opposition to my becoming a part of your cabinet. Well, didn't you expect it? After all, Mr. Carter, in the past you seem to have thrived on opposition, even mine. Uh, this is a much more serious situation, sir. The consequences could be disastrous. Yes, they could be, but that doesn't mean that they have to be. We have no guarantee that they won't be. Well, it seems that the hue and cry has affected you after all, Mr. Carter. Mr. President, everybody in politics must be affected by the hue and the cry. Then I suppose there's no further argument I can give you to urge your acceptance. That's entirely unnecessary, sir. I... I have already decided to accept. You... Well, why didn't you say so in the first place? I wanted to make it perfectly clear that I know what we will be up against. I know what we're up against. But we're in this together, Carter. We've got to work together to make sure we come out on top. Mr. Shelby, or should I say Mr. Vice President? Thank you, Senator Gibson. Sit down, won't you? I'm glad you dropped by. This is not a social call, sir. He's done it. Who has done what? The President. He's going to nominate Carter for the State Department. Yes? Well, the fool. I gave the President the benefit of the doubt. I thought at least he had political common sense. And Carter, that Judas. So he's closed the contract to receive his 30 pieces of silver, huh? Well, his end will be the same. It's most distressing. Distressing? Why don't you call it by its right name, barefaced corruption? I understand how you feel about the matter, Senator. But I must remind you that while the evidence is incriminating, there is no manifest proof of the charge. Proof? What do you need? Their signatures on paper itemizing the terms of the perfidious transaction? I am quite as shocked as you are, Senator, though I am not given to violent expressions. Now, look, Shelby, you're vice president, and you'd like to be the next president. Carter would like to be the next president, too, and he's being moved into a very advantageous position. You've neglected to mention that you would like to be president, too, Senator. Why do I have to mention it? I ran the last time, and I'll run again. Let's face the situation honestly. The president and Carter have formed an unholy alliance. This forces us into a common fight against them. <clears throat> you are very blunt, Senator Gibson. I'll go further. I'm going to do everything I can to get the Senate to reject Carter as Secretary of State. I'll make the president regret he ever proposed the idea. And, Mr. Vice President, I expect you to help me. Well, my position... I don't sir, give a hang I... for your position. 
You're going to have to help to protect your own interests. So, Shelby, for the time being, we join forces. Later on, when we've completely defeated the unholy alliance of the President and Carter, then we can square off against each other again. Is here. Oh, that's fine. Come in, Ed. Come in. Hello. Hello, Mr. President. Sit down, Ed. I want to talk to you. You know my nomination of Tom Carter is up for confirmation by the Senate tomorrow? Well, there's more opposition than ever, sir. I know, and I know what you're thinking. You advised me against Carter from the beginning. But I have my reason for asking him. And the Senate must pass this appointment. Well, my opinion, Mr. President, was based on political expediency. But since you have made your decision, I'll do anything I can to help you carry it through. Thank you, Ed. Normally, I would enlist the support of the vice president. But Mr. Shelby, I'm sorry to say, is unfortunately a vice president in opposition. However, I do want my views to be clearly expressed in the Senate. Now, whom do you suggest? Well, Senator Randall of New York has been a consistent supporter of your policy, sir. Good. I think he'd be glad to present your case. That's fine. Now, Ed, I don't believe in using undue pressure. However, I think the Senate should be reminded that my administration is just beginning. And if we are to accomplish anything for the good of the country, I urge them strongly to show their confidence in me by approving my choice for this key position in my cabinet. On this issue, I will not compromise. Carter to the Senate today. Now, what do you think of that, Senator Lathrop? Think of it. Why, Senator Reed, you know what my constituents will do when they hear such an outrage? They will never tolerate the sale of public office. But the president has the right to suggest his cabinet members, hasn't he? He may suggest, sir, but we may reject. Wait till we hear what Senator Gibson has to say about this. Have you a statement for the press on your position on the president's nomination of Mr. Carter? Indeed, I have a statement, sir. Thank you, Senator. And I plan to make it to the Senate this afternoon. Gentlemen, you have heard the Honorable Senator Randall convey the nomination of the president and extol at great length the qualifications of Mr. Carter, the Secretary of State. Well, gentlemen, at no time in the history of our nation has there been such a flagrant example of barter for office. You are right. Well, I, for one, will not be a party to this corrupt bargain, which sells political favor to the highest bidder. Senator Gibson has made his charges on the floor of the Senate. He's stirring up strong opposition, aligning his forces against you. No, he is, is he? Ed, Senator Gibson, did he win the election, or did I? I'm the President of the United States, not Senator Gibson. And I'm the one who appoints my cabinet, not Senator Gibson. Ed, you go back there and have Randall tell the Senate that if they expect the cooperation of this administration for the next four years, they'd better give me their cooperation right now. But, Mr. President, that's a very strong threat. That's exactly what I want it to be. Now go do it. Mr. President, 
Your Secretary of State, Mr. Carter. Oh, fine, fine. Come in, Mr. Carter. Come in, please. Mr. President. My congratulations, Mr. Secretary. Thanks, Mr. President. I suppose you've already heard what Senator Gibson had to say about this. Did you expect him to say anything else, Mr. Secretary? Under the circumstances, no. Well, anyway, you're in the cabinet now. Now, when do you want to get to work? That's one of the reasons I came by. First, to thank you again for your confidence in me. And secondly, I've been giving serious thought to the Panama Congress of the South American States. I, uh... I think we should participate. Then happily we agree on our first common effort, for I do too, Mr. Secretary. Yeah, splendid. Then we can get together on this very shortly. How's tomorrow? Good. I'll see you tomorrow, Mr. President. Good that's, day. That's fine. Good day, Mr. Carter. Good day. Good day, Miss Sarah. Good day, Mr. Secretary. Oh, Miss Sarah, will you come in, please? Yes, Mr. President. Uh, Miss Sarah, I want you to assemble all of my notes on the Panama Congress and uh, leave tomorrow morning open for a conference with the Secretary of State. Yes, sir. I'm so glad to hear that Mr. Carter's been confirmed by the Senate, sir. I am too, Miss Sarah. You know, it would have been a very uncomfortable thing for me if the Senate had rejected him. But you don't seem to be very happy about it. Happy? It's not the right word, Miss Sarah. I needed the Senate's approval, and I have it. That's fine. But I don't imagine anyone is ever very happy right after committing suicide. Suicide? Political suicide. You know, that's just what I've done. But, Mr. President, the majority in the Senate agreed with your choice. Because I forced them to agree with me. And it didn't require any major concessions from them on their part. But I'm not deceiving myself. And I'm sure Mr. Carter isn't either. And for that reason, I have the greatest admiration for him. But what do you think will happen now, sir? Senator Gibson will never forgive either of us for what he calls a political bargain. And the senator is very popular and very eloquent. He's already shown his hand. He's going to use this issue to realign our party around him. And what forces he doesn't win over to his side, Mr. Shelby will take care of, I'm sure. You mean the vultures are beginning to gather so soon? Yes, Miss Sarah, and I'm afraid for the next four years I'm going to have to watch them circling around the White House, just waiting to pounce. But if you knew all this would happen, Mr. President, why did you do it? Don't you know, Miss Sarah? Well... Naturally, I know that the talk about the bargain is untrue. Mr. President, why did you insist on Mr. Carter? Well, that's all very simple, Miss Sarah. He was the best man for the job. Do you mean that was your only reason? Then why didn't you defend yourself? Miss Sarah, the accusations were only based upon assumption. And I've given those assumptions the dignity of defending myself. I'd only be... Well, I've only been able to them, that's all. <laughs> Besides... Nobody ever bothered to ask me why I wanted Tom Carter. <laughs> well, what's funny, Miss Sarah? Mr. President, isn't it ironic that nobody ever thought that the only real reason you had was the only right reason? And you think that's funny? Don't forget, Miss Sarah. Right reasons are often the most costly. You've uh, probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know. And I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. How do you feel about three on a match, walking under a ladder, a black cat crossing your path? Probably none of these means anything to you, but many people are victims of that arch enemy of reason, superstition. Superstition has always lived in the minds of man, and it thrives today. 
It affects the daily existence of millions, sometimes men's very lives. Starting tonight and every Sunday night, most of these ABC stations will present suspenseful dramatizations of how superstition changes individual destinies on the exciting new program, Superstition. For fascinating and educational entertainment, don't miss Superstition when it premieres over most of these same ABC stations tonight. Now, here again is Edward Arnold. Have you guessed who this president was? It all happened in 1825, and the president then was John Quincy Adams, who defied friends and foes alike and appointed Henry Clay, whom we have called Tom Carter, his secretary of state. He was most violently opposed by the candidate he defeated for president, Andrew Jackson, whom we have called Senator Gibson. He was also opposed by his own vice president, John Calhoun, named Richard Shelby in this story. Because of this issue, a political party became reformed. And two great Americans, Adams and Clay, signed the death knell of their political careers, all because they put public service before political gain or personal glory. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you about Mr. President that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye. by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Irving Berlin's Technicolor musical Easter Parade, starring Judy Garland and Fred Astaire. <laughs> Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It is produced and directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lucas. This story by Milton Merlin was suggested by incidents in the administration of President John Quincy Adams. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adlam. Listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. <laughs>